Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Thursday of every month at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. The show was recorded on August 15th, 2013, and the theme was Heat. Our next storyteller is a writer for Lifehacker. Uh, we are about to lose him to Seattle, so next time we see him, he's going to be a real fucking prick about coffee. Please welcome Thorne Klozowski. Kind of already a prick about coffee, so whatever. Um, so I think like a lot of stories about heat and whatnot, mine is about a cave in the middle of the woods filled with pornography. Which kind of starts back in the summer of 1993-94. And uh, a bunch of friends and I had learned that the Walden Books in the Longmont Mall had their pornography stuffed on the second rack of a magazine shelf. And the little kids that we were, were realized that we could grab them if we kind of propped ourselves up on the bottom shelf, which was usually, you know, like Shape Magazine and what else on the bottom kind of reached up, we could grab them, stuff them underneath our shirts, like the adults that we were, and slowly walk out of the bookstore with them. And so over the course of the summer, we did this, and the first one I remember actually having the balls to grab was the Elle McPherson cover of Playboy, which is a very iconic cover at this point. She's kind of cross-legged whatever on it, and... Uh, I remember reaching up and grabbing it and stuffing it under my shirt and sitting in the, in the car with my mom the entire ride home with this copy of Playboy in a plastic wrapper just inside of my pants kind of awkwardly sticking to my stomach the entire time. And I think I was reading a copy of, like, you know, Game Pro or whatever, you know, 14-year-old boys read at that time and, you know, kind of pretending like I didn't have pornography stuffed in my shirt. <laughs> and... I got home, and I remember kind of, like, cracking open the seal and, like, hiding the plastic. Like, my mom would know that the plastic was from Playboy somehow. And kind of, like, stuffing that underneath my bed, um, which is probably where the Playboy should have gone. But no, that's not what I did. I decided to go find a hiding place for it, which was in a cave back behind my house. Because I grew up in the mountains. It was in a, a small town called Pinewood Springs outside of Estes Park. And um, we had, you know, an acre or so behind our, behind our house. And I found this little cave. And, and when I say cave, I'm not talking Carlsbad Caverns. I'm talking like, a, you know, fireplace-sized cave. And uh, so I go back there and stuff my L. McPherson copy of Playboy in there. And I obviously go and tell all of my friends that I just did that. And over the course of the summer, we all proceed to steal hundreds of pornography from the Walden books in the Longmont Mall. Whether, you know, penthouses, playboys, whatever weird random bondage magazine they accidentally ordered and we just decided to take anyway. Just all summer long, stuffing these inside of this cave until eventually we had a fucking library of pornography in a cave in the middle of the mountains. And I think think, like, I'm not sure what everybody else did, but I was kind of on the honor system of checking out the magazines as, as time went on, where, you know, I would take one out and I'd go wherever else and 
do whatever I was going to do and then take it back. And I, I kind of hope nobody else was hanging out in the cave. I don't really know. But, you know, over time, that's, you know, they accumulated, and by the end of the summer, we had a lot. And uh, weirdly, by the end of the summer, it kind of just filtered out. Like, the Internet kind of came out, or, you know, we all started getting the Internet within, you know, a short period of time. And I suddenly found the magic of, you know, CompuServe and being able to, being able to uh, download, you know, images of showgirls over, like, five minutes. I was able to get a single picture, and it was amazing. And, like, 40 minutes later, I had a trailer and slightly moving boobs, and it was great. Um, and the kind of the magazine just went by the wayside. And, you know, as magazines do over time, they start getting a little wet and weird and sun-damaged and everything else. And... I would go up there still every once in a while because I was a teenage boy. Obviously, I'm going to wander up there still. And uh, I remember towards the end of the time period, which we'll get to in a second, but I remember one of the last times I went up there by myself, I kind of like opened it up. Opened it, I found the Ellen McPherson one because I was like mine. That was like the near and dear, like that was my Moby Dick of porn. That was <laughs> like mine. I, that was what turned me on to everything and changed the world for me. And I remember kind of peeling it open, and you know that weird kind of cracking sound that old magazines make? is like they're wet and sun-drenched, and it's a Playboy, so it's kind of like an advent calendar of whether or not you're going to get porn or not, because there's like four pictures inside and a bunch of articles. And I remember just kind of peeling it open and just crossing my fingers that I was getting the L. McPherson, and I don't think I ever did. And if I did, I probably ripped them in shreds by that point. And so that was kind of the end of, like, we all... You know, I realized it was the end. Nobody else was stuffing porn in there. I don't even know what the heck happened to the other neighborhood kids. But a year goes by or so, and I think I was, I was sitting at my computer. You know, at this time, the Internet was probably, like, we're into the 56K era. I could download pictures from Showgirls 2 in, like, 30 seconds now. And I was probably playing some computer game sitting there, and my mom comes in. And... Moms are wont to do. She kind of just stood there for a second, tapping her foot, doing that thing, which it was on like a carpet, so it was more kind of just like it wasn't really that threatening at all. And you know, I'm like seeing them like shooting stuff, and I'm like, yeah, what's up, mom? She's like, there's a cave behind our house. And I was like, yeah, mom, there's caves behind our house. What's up? She's like, there's a lot of magazines in this cave, and I was like, hmm. I've got two options here. I blame the kid that went off to college already, or I play dumb. I played dumb, which doesn't work. Anyone that's ever said anything to their mom about anything, whether it was true or not, knows that playing dumb is the completely wrong thing to do always. So I play dumb. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, mom. I'm just sitting here playing Quake. Click, click, click. She's like, no, there's a lot of porn in this cave, and you need to go clean it up with a trash can, and we're going to set it on fire. And I kind of felt my heart just, like, breaking into a gazillion pieces at that point of just, like, realizing what was going on. And my mom sent me up there, thankfully, by myself. You know, she didn't go with me, which would have been incredibly awkward. But she sent me up there with a big plastic trash bag. And I had to sit there filling this trash bag full of five, six-year-old porn just covered in water and grossness. Filled up this, you know, trash bag threw it over my shoulder like Santa Claus, walked down the hill to this bonfire that my mom started because she's insane and 
sat there and she made me throw every fucking one of them in one by one. Like I couldn't even dump them in. It was like just And if you've ever seen magazines on fire, it's this weird blue flame that just smells like shit. It's the worst. And like just throwing them in one by one memories of just you know, jerking off in the woods or whatever a 14-year-old kid does, like, just dealing with it with my mom standing there. And one of the very last ones, because I had coveted this thing, is that fucking L. McPherson cover. And, like, I was, like, I remember just looking at it and, like, my entire childhood just, like, crushing down on me as I throw this thing into the fire, like, a little tear coming down my eye. My mom looking at me and with the blue flame just ending it all. Thanks. Lauren Klazowski, Coffee Prick. Give it up for him. Our next storyteller, uh, we are excited to have her on the show. She reached out to us. She actually runs a sister storytelling show in Boulder uh, called Truth Be Told. She is a public speaking coach, uh, and she also uh, puts on uh, solo performance uh, classes called... Fearless solos. Uh, so we're excited to have her here. Please welcome Johanna Walker. When I was a girl, an adolescent girl, there were the big shots and the little shots. I, of course, was a little shot. I was painfully shy, super, super quiet, super well-behaved, super scared of making a mistake, and impressively lonely. Between The summer between my sixth and seventh grade, Beth Davis moved in next door. And Beth Davis and I became best friends. We built forts and made up languages and invented games and studied the joy of sex together and... and I totally fell in love with Beth Davis because she, she, had atten- she paid attention to me. And, and I, I, could, I could be somebody with Beth Davis. But then when school started, it was clear that Beth Davis was a big shot. And she immediately connected with all the popular girls. But she was very generous and she invited me to come along. And she was like, you should come, come hang out with us. And so I got to, I got to before school, the big shots would hang out in the bathroom. And I would go into the bathroom with the big shots. And it was excruciating. Because they would just kind of like hang in the sinks and hang on the walls and like look at me thinking, what is she doing here? But Beth was really cool and she would make it okay for me to be there. And I got to, I got to sit with the big shots at the lunch table. And so, I, so I, I, I got to attach myself to Beth and become a big shot by being Beth's friend. So in home ec, this was back when girls had home ec and boys had shop. And in home ec, we made aprons and we, we blended brown sugar and butter and put it on toast and melted it in the broiler. That's what we did in home ec. So in home ec, Tracy Sosby is in my home ec class and Tracy Sosby is a big shot. And Tracy Sosby is like at the top of the pile. And I'm like the next coolest person in the class. There's Tracy Sosby, everybody else is burnouts and little shots. And I'm like the next coolest person, but it's like Tracy Sosby is here and I'm like here and then everybody else. So I got to be Tracy Sosby's partner because I was, you know, the next coolest person. We would, I would sit there next to Tracy Sosby and she'd say, 
oh my God, there is nobody in this class. This is such a bad class. There is nobody in this class. And then I would say, yeah, I know. There is nobody in this class. But I was kind of glad there was nobody in the class because that meant I got to be Tracy Sosby's partner. So this was cool. So that spring, oh, oh, wait, no, then eighth grade, this was eighth grade and Beth Davis had moved away. Beth Davis had moved away. So she had, this was devastating for me, but she had appointed some people to look after me. She had appointed Nancy, Nancy Liebelt and Julie Lovell and Kim Maddox. She said, look after Joe, take care of her. She's, she's a good kid. Take care of her. And so they did, they paid attention to me. So Tracy Sosby kind of knew the, knew the rule. Like, you, you know, that's why I was her lab partner, whatever. Anyway, that spring, the boosters did a fundraiser and you could buy a rose and the rose would be delivered to the person of your choice. So I was, I knew that I would never get a rose. Nobody would ever send, who would send me a rose? I wasn't the kind of person who somebody would send a rose to. I didn't have anybody to send me a rose. And I wanted to be somebody who would receive a rose on Booster Rose Day. So I sent myself a rose. I bought a rose and I had it sent to me and I signed it from your secret admirer. And the roses were delivered during seventh period, which was home ec. And so the rose was delivered to me and I was the only person in that class who got a rose on Booster Rose Day. And it was a big deal. Like, wow, Johanna got a rose. Oh my gosh, she's got a secret admirer. Tracy Sosby was like, you've got a secret admirer. That is so cool. I wonder who it is. Oh my God, you've got a secret admirer. That is so cool. And so for a minute, I was really cool because I had a secret admirer. But I kind of didn't know what to do with the attention, I guess. Because to, well, I, to, I, to this day, I don't really understand what made me do the thing that I did next. But I confided in Tracy Sosby. I told her that I sent myself the rose. And I said, but you gotta promise not to tell anybody. Promise not to tell. And she said, of course, I promise not to tell. So I left home ec, I carried my rose out of home ec and I went to biology. And Tracy Sosby was not in my biology class. But when I walked into biology with my rose, somebody said, Johanna, I heard you have a secret admirer. <laughs> with a little bit of a laugh and a roll of the eye. And that was when I felt the heat rise in my body. And I felt the eyes just piercing me, burning, burning through me. This, this shame and humiliation that I had been found out. And so I, I, I walked to the, my table carrying my rose and I set it down and I sat down and I made it through biology. And then after biology, it was the end of the day, I walked down to my locker and when I walked out in the hallway, I just felt this, this snickering and this stare. And it was just like this burn, this burn of Joanna, Joanna's her own secret admirer. Joanna sent a rose. Joanna sent the rose to herself that she sent. She sent, and, and it was just like 
swirled. It just like pierced me. It just came in. And, and, and the, the, the heat of humiliation just like swirled around in my body. And, it, and then it like spilled out through the floor and the walls. And it was just like this impenetrable wall. And when I looked around me, it was like everybody was just like... It was as if I had handed a match to an arsonist. It felt like that. It was that hot. It was that hot. And I made it out. I walked out of school that day with my rose. And I got home and I put the rose in water. The next year, I made new friends. I left the big shots. I abandoned the big shots and I made some friends of my own and I called them the middle shots. And sometimes still I send roses to myself and I sign them from your secret admirer. Johanna Walker. The Narrators Podcast is recorded and produced by the Denver Diatribe. Check out their weekly show at denverdiatribe.com. The Narrators Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the Internet Superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.